This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise podcast. I'm your host, Norman Lau, and sitting with me, as he is always, is my esteemed co-host, Will Wynn, who I haven't seen in a week or two here in the conference room. So, how are you, Will? Our love spans across the ages and in space, Norman, so we'll always be connected. So, <laughs> it hasn't been that long, but it does feel like it's been <laughs> a long time, though. So, it's, I'm glad to be behind the mic again. We are getting from there to here. Is our time finally near? <laughs> Have you missed my puns? You know, I feel like we use that pun so many times. It's almost like it always just, it, it almost just, you know, shoots straight over my head. But yes, that was an excellent use of that. Well done. No, like an, <laughs> we're like an old married couple. We really are. Yeah. And of course, we have back with us, we have our very own Mr. Taz, Mr. A2Z, Jeff Harlan. Jeff, how are you? Hey, uh, it's a star beyond time, but here I am. Look at him pulling out the deep references. This is why he's on the, on the air with us, folks, is because he goes that deep. That's why he's the... Do you think people actually got, got that when they said Mr. Ataz in the library A to Z? I did. I didn't get it you at know? first, but I was pretty young, so I give myself a pass on that one. No excuses. No excuses for you. And uh, back with us again, and the first time with me, and I'm really excited that he's back on the air with us because he is one of the associate producers for Warp 5, Floyd Dorsey. Floyd, how are you? Hey, I'm I'm doing good. I'm so glad to be back on board the ship, especially after uh, I didn't quite return that phase pistol that Corporal Cole told me to go practice with. Um, I didn't bring it with me this time, but I, I promise I'll bring it back next time. Don't mess with Cole. I think those were somebody's final last words. Not mine. Maybe the writers. I don't know. But... Um, now, well, I guess he is, he's okay if he spoiled it a little bit because he is an associate producer. But tonight we will be talking about kind of like in the line of what Will and the crew talked about in the last episode with Major Hayes. We're going to be talking about secondary characters that actually left a little bit more of an impression with us on Enterprise. And in this particular character is another one of the Makos because, hey, who doesn't love giving love to the Makos, right? Because they were pretty awesome, albeit for a short, brief period of time. It's like being like an awesome moth. You know, just, you know, right next to the, the flame that was the Zindi arc. So secondary characters, very important, helps flesh out the crew. And not just the crew of Starfleet, but the crew of kind of like how the United Earth operations 
was at the time. But before we get into that, because I know all of you are on the edge of your seats because you've all missed my voice that much, Will, let everyone know how they can find us across subspace and the interwebs. Sure, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link there as well. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. And if you like what you hear on Warp 5 or any of the other Trek FM network shows, please leave us a five-star rating and a review, which will help us greatly increase our visibility for new listeners. Back to the subject matter at hand. So we're talking about Amanda Cole. Amanda Cole was a human female officer who served as a... Was, was she an officer? I mean, the Makos weren't officers technically. Corporal's enlisted rank, right? So corporal's, yeah. So that's not technically an officer. That's why they kept saluting all the other officers. Yeah, so I think right? what there had to be ostensibly a rank between... Corporal Major, right? Hayes was a major, obviously a a, a mid to high ranking officer rank. So it would surmise to be a, le- a sergeant. There'd be lieutenant level or a. Yeah. Say that again, Jeffrey. What were you? I think they made a comment about Sergeant Kemper. Oh, okay, there. You okay, go. so so there was a bit in the in the previous podcast when you guys were talking about like military ranks, like naval versus what would this be? Army, Marines. Infantry. Okay. Yeah. So she wasn't an officer, but she did serve in the Makos, and she was one of a handful. Now, we saw, like, the Mako Battalion, you know, on the Enterprise, but she was one of a handful that were actually named and actually given screen time. Now, we're talking about the episode Harbinger in Season 3, kind of like midway through the Zindi arc before things really got serious, and I found it interesting that she became... More of a pivotal character than I think even she, the actress who played Amanda Cole, was was intending her role to be. So let's start talking about Noah Tishby and her approach to the character, who she was, who Amanda Cole was, and how she kind of fit into this episode. Because she, I mean, let's be honest, she didn't really get a lot of screen time. So Floyd, I know that you had a lot of things that you wanted to say, and, you know, off Offline, you're saying, I have so much to say about Amanda Cole. Give me the chance to do it. So, associate producer, I am giving you that chance. What would you like to say about Amanda Cole to start off with? Well, right away, when Harbinger starts, you've got the uh, close-up of the nerve session, nerve pinch session going on there or whatever it was. And you assume that it's tripping to Paul and it slowly backs out. And then, oh, who's this? This is someone that we haven't seen before. And um, I really, I, did that, I really, did that surprise you? Did that make you a little jealous that it wasn't to Paul <laughs> or a little maybe. shocked that it wasn't to Paul? Yeah. Well, I was like, whoa, whoa where's the Paul? You know, this is going to get ugly, you know, maybe, <laughs> but yeah, um, the, I, I really liked that they brought a character like that to kind of mix it up a little bit. I mean, the only, the only thing that I would have, I, I would have liked to have seen, you know, just like more of enterprise. I'd like to have seen more of her on you know maybe a couple of more episodes even in just in season three like with the missions coming up and things like that but i i really liked how that worked out you know trip was ignoring to paul and obviously it got a little it got some got a got a reaction out to paul that vulcans aren't really supposed to show well what do you think yeah i think it's interesting i think 
Enterprise really had the ability to introduce these side characters that could blossom into, I think, what the gold standard of side characters would be, would be Shran. And then you have the whole list of other characters that, you know, run along that gamut of being introduced one time only. We're doing the our, our look at one time, one time hit or one hit wonder characters, if you will, to someone like Elizabeth Cutler, who kind of falls in between. Then you have Saval, Admiral Force on the on the upper echelon to Pow. And I think Enterprise had the ability to really introduce a larger canvas. Oftentimes it didn't develop some of the characters as well as we would have liked. I think Amanda Cole is uh, a perfect case in point. I would have liked to have seen a lot uh, more of the backstory of how she became um, friends with Trip initially. They, you know, he said initially they shared they shared a lot in common. They both came from Florida. I believe they lost family or relatives in the attack. There was um, a connection there, or there was at least a, a basis for them to develop uh, a relationship or a friendship. And for me, I would like to have seen more of that. And I'd also like to say that it would have been nice to have seen at least some introduction to the character that didn't automatically make her a love interest with Trip and have her be put inside a love triangle. I think it would have been nice to have her develop as kind of an independent character from the Makos and kind of develop her for a while as a character. And then if you had to introduce kind of that love triangle element, but I mean, obviously she was only in one episode really. So I think that right there is the problem is that we only see such a tiny sliver of what the character could have been. So that's my initial thoughts. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I thought the uh, character brought a nice, nice uh, um, element to uh, the, the trip into Paul relationship that they were starting to work on. Uh, and it added a little bit of tension there that uh, otherwise probably wouldn't have been there. Uh, and for that, I think it worked really well. I, I think that uh, the character uh, was developed uh, enough that they easily could have brought her back and done a lot more with her, especially uh, bringing in some uh, the commonalities that she had with, with Trip. And you can have some more episodes where you know you could play off what she's going through and what Trip's going through, and maybe one of them is saying, I've been through the same thing, and you're taking it a lot harder than I am. What's going on? And someone that they could talk to a little more easily than someone, some of the other regular characters. Uh, that would have been an interesting direction to take the character, I think. You know, that's actually a really good point because I think it would have been really cool if, in some way, somewhere along the say the first couple of episodes, as the Makos were kind of introduced over time, that. Yeah, like Trip was saying something, and then like Cole would like would be like walking around the court. It's like you know that's I know that accent. Where are you from? And just just a little touch like here and there, and it would have added to the kind of like the slow burn entry of a character like that, as opposed to something that was yeah, it was a little jarring, Floyd. It was you know during the whole nerve pressure session, you're like, well, okay, so Trip into Paul nerve pressure session. I get it. You know we're doing that. And then all of a sudden you're like, ooh, ooh, whoa, who's this? And I think I would have liked to have seen maybe one or two episodes that would have led into that. I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, that, well, I mean, even with when I was talking about Major Hayes, I would love to have seen more of an explanation for why the Makos even existed. So then to 
to have gotten that plus another Mako that was very interesting. We had some backstory for her and, but then, but stretch that out. Don't just drop it on us. And then, then she just leaves, pulls a curtain on us. Uh, it could have been, it, it could have been just so much more interesting. I, I mean, the only thing I could think of when I'm thinking of this particular character is just superficial. I'm afraid, you know, I, I'm afraid the writers just sold her just a little bit too short on this. They were just, it was just too superficial uh, they had one purpose for, her, and that was to mix up the Trip and Paul relationship, and then boom, she's gone. You know, exit stage right. I mean, Will, do you think that it was hard to appreciate this character or really get into this character because back in your mind you're like, "Where's this going?" You know, I mean, it's kind of like you you want to invest yourself in characters that you meet for the first time. You kind of want to figure out this is what we do as fans, and and. You know, Star Trek fans, Star Wars fans, Babylon 5 fans, whatever your fandom is, when you see somebody new that's interacting with a crew that you've already established your affection for, yeah, somebody like, oh, who is this working on Trip now? I mean, where's this relationship going? How is she going to assert herself between Trip and T'Pol? Why would they do this? I want to give that character the ability to sell me emotionally and say, okay, I want to be on board with what you are portraying as a character. But if you're not going, well, let me back that up. If you're going to be part of this tradition of one hit wonder characters, am I really going to buy into the emotional investment and allow myself to completely get sold and invest myself into this whole dynamic? And it kind of leaves it a little bit hollow, at least for me. No, I agree with both of you, Norm and Floyd. I think superficial is a really good way to describe it and and hollow at the same way. I think the character and the actress who played her, you could tell that she could handle a meatier role. She could handle a more substantive role. And she does bring uh, a lot to the episode that she's in. And she's not very, you know, she's not in it a lot. But what we get is there's something to go on. But at the same time, what we do have is very, it is very superficial. It's very hollow in the sense that it's only serving a, a means to an end in terms of facilitating a tension between Trip and T'Pol and using that character, using a female character, no less, as a very familiar love triangle type character does disservice to, I think the actress does disservice to what Amanda Cole could have been as a character. And, you know, I think Enterprise has a mixed record at best in terms of really having well-defined female characters. So this could have been another great opportunity for them to kind of really take it to the next level, but they didn't. And, what you mentioned before, Floyd, is really uh, it's a really great point because I agree that having a Mako episode would have been perfect. Imagine an episode early on where it was just through the perspective of the Makos, right? And it's the Enterprise, it's the NX crew that's the side characters. So you tell the story from Hayes, from Cole's perspective. They're new on this ship, and they're like, so what are we doing here? How do we figure our role here? And that's how, in my mind, you would introduce Hayes, you introduce Cole, you introduce... Daniel Day Kim was a Mako, um, mm-hmm. and NX mm-hmm. will introduce his character and kind of just flesh out like what is their role on this ship, and then and then later on you could have the development you see in Harbinger because you've already introduced it before. You know, I think that there was a possibility here, and I'm going to throw this over to Jeff. That, and we love this episode, and we bring this up all the time. What if there was an opportunity to write a lower decks type of episode using the analogs of the Makos and pair them with their respective spiritual um, counterparts on the on the NXO one. So you have the Mako you know, decks. You have Amanda. Yeah, 
<laughs> so yeah, you know, you have that emotional and, and and almost kind of like that is spiritual leap between this new crew, the new crew of people, I should say, or this new cadre of of Makos, and how they can almost seamlessly insert themselves into the relationships that have already been well established with the NX01 crew, and how they pretty much evenly yoke with their counterparts there. And I like what you guys brought up in the previous podcast between Hayes and Reed, because for all intents and purposes, the reason why they didn't get along well is because they were so similar. You know, there's there's an old adage where I see a lot of myself in you and I don't like myself. So <laughs> I see what I don't like in you because it's brought to the forefront. What if that was the case with somebody like Cole? Like she saw something in Trip that eventually, yeah, sure, it was attractive because they're both from Florida and they're around the same Florida area. They both have a lot of history together. Um, that could have dovetailed into another episode with Daniel Day Kim's Mako, maybe seeing some of that in Hoshi, you know, because they're both Asian American. I would assume that Daniel Day Kim's an Asian American in this situation. And maybe they came from similar backgrounds. You know, they both had uh, the familial structures that pushed them probably harder than, than the normal and traditionally harder than normal for some. And they found some comfort with each other. So what do you think about that? Do you think that's, that's something that would have worked in, in the storyline, in, in the favor of Amanda and Tripp, to try and build that relationship together. Yeah, I think it uh, it that's something that they uh, definitely could have worked with, um, especially if after this whole thing with the neuropressure uh, uh, sessions comes to a head, and then she discovers that this is something that he learned from T'Pol, and he's kind of doing this on the side with her, and maybe she's like, kind of gets the impression well it's like you're cheating on her are you trying to make her jealous and that could and bring in some tension there and cause you know like a three-way tension between the 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 three characters and uh you know that that would be you know like they could stretch that out for a couple of episodes and you know plenty of material there to use these characters well, I mean, I think when you watch the dynamic in play, I mean, there's it makes a lot of sense that the writers did this in order to not necessarily introduce a new character in Amanda Cole, which yeah. I think was awesome, but more to draw out the emotional change that has happening with T'Pol. I mean, mm-hmm. Floyd, do you think that do you think that was the case? Was it that obvious to you that that's what they were doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, because right away, again, they pulled the, the bait and switch with the neuropressure session and you're thinking it's DePaul and it's not. And then I see the very first thing I thought of was with, is DePaul going to walk in? This is going to be good. And then the, I just, the, like she, she could have been so much more and they, they only had her for that one little thing. They just needed to get trip and DePaul to say that they like each other or whatever the catalyst is for that. And it, they could, they could have really stretched her out. I mean, she was the only Mako that actually had a first name. They actually gave her a first name. So go ahead and give her a reason for being there beyond just being a side character to this relationship. That's a fair point. I mean, that's, they, they took the time to flesh out the character with that much effort. 
And when I say effort, probably not a lot of effort, but more effort than saying, you know, just Major Hayes. We only got Major Hayes' first name after what Decipher released Jeremiah Hayes on their card, on the trading card game. So, so going back to, you know, why do you think this character was important in this particular episode with this particular dynamic? What else do you think, at least for this episode, made her the memorable character that we are able to talk about today because she was very formidable in the fighting sequences and the training sequences. She was no wallflower. I mean, she was a highly trained, well operating machine. And I think that was something that was really important to show that all of the Makos male, female, these people are there for a very specific purpose. And in doing so, it almost gave them a little bit of a, of a leading edge in terms of their legitimacy on the ship. And I think she was their top marksman. So that little bit of a detail, I think, gives her a lot more credibility. But I don't think that we actually saw her fire the weapon. They just kind of alluded to her being that. I, I think that maybe was a little bit of a disservice. I think I would have liked her seeing like, her in action that way. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, that was that was the point I was going to bring up that, that she was the top marksman in that um, firefight or that type of marksman exercise that they were doing, and the parallel is obvious to to the modern day now where we have female army rangers. Right? It was just in recent news about how they were the first they graduated the first female army rangers uh, very recently, and that they had um, to go through the same type of training regimen to get that ranger tab and there's a larger conversation at least here in the United States about integrating women um, more thoroughly into frontline combat roles and what role can they play and I think that's very prescient in terms of what the Makos as we saw them to be that's something that we should aspire to right females serving in the same capacity as males in the same type of frontline infantry role her being at the top of her um, class and that type of exercise, I think it speaks a lot too. And I think just overall you have, it goes back to the Mako dynamic is something that it's so interesting by itself. And it's still kind of just glossed over. We accept the fact that they're the muscle, right? They're the muscle there to help. And there's some tension. But we really don't understand their motivations. We don't really understand what they're thinking, what makes them tick outside of the generic they're take orders well they'll they're the first in the fight the last to leave like floyd said you know she was the first to have a name so it could have really been the opening for an in-depth discussion on what the makos are as characters and also amanda cole as a character hey just think about this i, I mean i don't br- want to bring in like a completely other franchise here but new bsg starbuck she could have sold that she could have been the starbuck for enterprise. I mean, she was, let's face it. She was taking it easy on trip when they were sparring. I mean, she could have, she could have broke the guy in half. Okay. That's, that's how I feel. She could have broke the guy in half. She was flirting with him. You know, he punched her in the face. She spit some blood and then she's flirting with him. So, uh, that's, that's something that, uh, that's something that I thought of when we were talking about maybe like beyond, uh, season four and beyond for her was, man, she could have come back as, as like a, a new Starbuck. You know, now in terms of the way that the scripts are being written at this time, because, and, and you guys mentioned this many times in the previous episode with Major Hayes, that 
the writers were they were a little scattered in terms of just the broad stroke details of what was going on with the Zindi arc. I mean, yes, they wanted to obviously do one major through line, but it really is the details that kind of hold a lot of the continuity together. And in E Squared, there was an issue, not really an issue, but a small little detail that were just kind of like, well, you know, um, not to spoil the episode too much for people who haven't seen it, but the only other time, at least on screen, that we have heard of Amanda Cole's name is in this episode because she ended up in another timeline with flocks in a certain way. And again, I don't want to get too much in detail about that because there, you know, if there are those of you who haven't seen this episode, E squared, please do so because it's a fantastic episode. And we covered that in Red Room 188. But there would have been an interesting detail if they actually mixed in a little bit of flirtation between she and Phlox just ever so slightly just to show a little bit of a connection there I mean I think that's a missed opportunity what do you think definitely yeah I think it's interesting because Phlox and Trip are kind of different characters right they're they have they have a gregariousness they're both very sociable people but they have different personalities too right so the uh, so the question is, what is it about flocks and Trip that are similar or maybe different that would attract Amanda Cole, that would make them, you know, attractive in her eyes, and also at the same time have that relationship play out in a different way? And we know Denoblians, their relationships are very open romantically. So did that play a role into it? Was it? Um, I think there's there's a lot to say there in terms of especially with Elizabeth Cutler being kind of one of the very first romantic interests with Phlox, kind of maybe exploring possibly the dynamic of the first, this being kind of the first instance of human, non-human pairings um, being acceptable, being something that um, wasn't frowned upon as we see later on in Terra Prime and Demons. We know that humans and Vulcans were initially incompatible, but there are dynamics here that, was it ever established outside of this that Denoblins could mate with humans and vice versa? I mean, there was, I think, Fiesel, I guess, is one example, too. Mm. But I think it's interesting is that all these elements that we take for granted, that human-non-human pairings that we've seen in Trek later on in so many iterations, that now we're really seeing what should be the very first instances of it and all of the questions and interesting issues that arise from that fact. You know, if um, if we had a chance to actually interview uh, Noah Tishby, what would one of the questions be that you... W- w- let me rephrase that. What would one of the questions be that you would want to ask her in terms of did she have a relatively interesting time creating this character? Does she feel like, why wouldn't they ask me back? Or... Why did I only get one episode? Do you or, remember being on it? Do you even remember being on the show? Because you were on so briefly. Yeah, I mean, like you, when you when you have actors that you know they they get that bit part, and I think it's a little bit more than an extra because she did have a a memorable role, and we're trying to find those characters that have at least made that type of impression the same way that Elizabeth Cutler did, or Kelly Waymire's Elizabeth Cutler did. I don't think she was quite there. Uh, with one just one episode, but she had the potential of doing that. And I'm just wondering why, and this is all speculation now, 
I'm just wondering why the writers felt that they didn't want to continue that. Did she not test well? Did she, I mean, in, in terms of test, did she not test well as the episode went on? Did it just not unfold the way that the writers and the producers wanted? I don't see anything that she did that would have said, nah, scrap her character. We're going to focus in a completely different direction. Yeah, I think it's probably a result of them just trying to tie up the Zindi arc, tie up season three. And then season four was a completely new showrunner. It was a completely new ball game outside of Stormfront. And I think that's one of the my complaints about season four is that we really don't have much references back to what just happened in this huge season three arc. I mean, there's some references in Home about what they did and kind of the emotional toll on Archer. That's good. But I think they introduced such an interesting world in season three, especially with the Makos. But they really revert in season four. The Makos just become, again, even more faceless, right? Obviously, Hayes is dead. Cole isn't seen again. But imagine the potential for Amanda Cole to have stepped up and become the leader of the Mako detachment on the NX-01 because Hayes is dead. And now she has to kind of assume this leadership role. How does she interact with um, the senior staff now, which includes Trip and, and T'Pol? Um, how does she react when Trip is reassigned to the Columbia, albeit briefly? And I think all of those interesting things could have been there. She could have just been one of those characters we we saw in the Kirshara trilogy, right? Or we could have seen in the Babel, uh, Babel trilogy or any of those other elements. And she could have been that that role um, that was further developed. We really see the Makos as a whole kind of revert back to even more of a faceless. They're just, they're just there for added muscle and they're there for, you know, numbers. But beyond that, they're camo shirts. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're panel shirts. And, I think I would ask. I would think I would ask her. You know, how would you see your character evolving? Did you see something um, beyond just the the trip and T'Pol dynamic? Let's say they resolve that. Was it just going to be one of those? Um, will they or won't they? Or will they just agree that it's not working for them? And then she kind of is still an established character that she can still exist outside of the necessities of being in that love triangle. I think that'd be really interesting to ask her. What do you think, Floyd? What, I mean, if you had that chance, is there something? Because I know you're a fan of Amanda Cole's character. I mean, what would you want to ask her? Yeah, that it it would be, you know, what what were you working on? You know, like what were you working toward? Because I would always think that an actor, an actress, is trying. They're trying to build their character with the screen time that they have. And what what would you what would have been your perfect scenario to have worked out for this? If they ask you, we're going to bring you in for another episode. We want to, we want to focus on your character. What, what would you like to do with it? Uh, the Stephen Culp actually came up with his own backstory for his character. Uh, so that would be something I would, I would ask her like, how, what would you like to do to push beyond on what we've, what you've already seen? Uh, what's, what else would you like to add to this? Um, would you like I, I know uh, when we were speaking about this uh, last week off off the mic, uh, Mike Morrison, associate producer, he had mentioned that he had liked to have seen uh, Cole as, come on as security on the uh, Columbia. So mm-hmm. that could have been interesting, especially when Archer was talking about Hernandez is like, hey, Makos, you need some of those. If he would have mentioned also about Cole you know, that could have been an opening for her right there. And that could have worked out because uh, after Enterprise came back at the end of season three, there's this long span of time in between 
home and borderland where they're just doing refits and renovations on the ship. And at that point, say coal transferred over to the Columbia as it's getting ready to launch. And then later on trip comes over to the Columbia and now you got the two of them run into each other on the Columbia. And it's like, Oh, this is kind of awkward. Yeah. I think that there was a really good opportunity there for some really well-written drama because I think that would have been great for Cole to have dealt with the emotional loss of her commander and say like, you know what? I'm just, I need some distance from this ship. I mean, this, what happened on this ship was just a little too traumatizing, a little too tragic. So she was offered the opportunity to work on the Columbia and to work with the first female captain of Starfleet and to kind of like forge her own career path and to leave all of that behind, especially Trip, because She's like, you know what? I just can't be, I can't be in a relationship with you. I can't do my job effectively if, and they could have written it this way, if she somehow compromised the mission in order to do something to save Trip instead of protect Major Hayes' perimeter. These are the details that I'm talking about that could have been written in if they really thought about it, you know, because it's just one of those things where somebody like her, career military person, lost focus because she wasn't focused on the mission and on her objective. She was focused on that particular emotional state at the time, Trip or Hayes. She made that decision. It ended up badly for, obviously, Major Hayes. She can't handle that, so she needs to leave. She needs to separate herself. Then all of a sudden, she's walking down the corridor, and then here comes Trip, and all of that emotion comes back again. And I think that that would have been really interesting baggage for Trip to have brought back and talked to Paul about and see if she actually was sympathetic, didn't care, would try and help him move on, try and bridge that relationship again with just being friends, being you know, just like, I need somebody to talk to. You know, then Tripp's neural pressure started to act up again, and then their relationship started to reforge. So again, there's a lot of dynamic that was definitely available to them if they wanted to mine it at the time, because, you know, they're they're good characters and they're they have the opportunity to be well-rounded and they have also the opportunity to, to do things in Star Trek that haven't been seen before. I mean, we really haven't seen that type of like a romantic love triangle in, in that sense. You know, you have two officers, you have an enlisted person, they're completely from different worlds, literally. And how do you bring that all together? I mean, that's the great thing about, about Enterprise. I mean, we keep talking about how we only have four seasons worth of material. But when you only have that much time, when you only have that limited amount of resource at your disposal, you, you literally mine it for every single second of screen time that you have because that's all you have. I mean, that's the way I approach it. Do you guys approach it the same way? I mean, yeah, she's only in it for, I think if we actually calculated it out, maybe seven minutes worth of screen time. But the possibilities of what she could do could have echoed through all of season four, and if we were lucky enough, probably further seasons. And then maybe, maybe there would, would, would have been that time where Tripp had to make that choice to Paul or Cole. How would that have worked out? So, uh, I mean, Floyd, do you ever think about that? Like, how did Cole, how did her character expand past the fourth season? Well, for me, I, I, I took it for what I saw. You know, what did we see on camera? I mean, she's a very friendly girl. She was easy to get along with. Um, she was more than friendly with Trip. Uh, she was friendly with Phlox. Uh, we didn't actually see it on camera, but it was mentioned that uh, when he had talked to, to Paul. 
And she had uh, the one-on-one time with DePaul. So for me, when I'm looking at this, uh, you know, what, what can we think of for season four and beyond for, for Cole? Why was a Mako corporal so friendly with at least three bridge officers? So here's my thing. I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a little suspicious. I have a little suspicious nature. So when I look at this, I mean, I look at someone's research and I always try to think of what's their bias What's their prejudice that's going to actually make their results come out to what they want it to come out with? And I try to poke holes in it. So think about this. You all liked Cole. You're smitten with her. What if she had an other, an ulterior motive for being on the ship? I mean, this is my section 31. This is my, this is my getting out there. (laughs) Hey, she was recruiting assets. Okay. And she was doing a really good job of it when we saw her on there. Trip was completely, absolutely recruited in uh, her backstory that she just lived down the street from him. Maybe she was picked out exactly for that reason. I mean, this is just my in universe. Let's let's geek out for a second about what it, what it could have been. Um, she has the neuro pressure sessions. So then she's able to get in friendly with Fox flocks. And then she is actually I mean, she had the one on one with DePaul. I say they could have made this. They could have totally flipped this on this. I mean, we're talking DS9 flip right here. Section 31, Starfleet intelligence. That's kind of obvious. You know, I mean, think about it. Um, would they have, would, would these intelligence agencies have sent Johnny Archer out on this deep space mission for Earth? I mean, this is the farthest they're going out. I've always just thought, hey, it would have been really, really cool if we would have found out that there were operatives on on board. I mean, it, it wouldn't be that far to say. I mean, we've talked about how there could have been scientists or scholars on board, but how about intelligence agents? I mean, what is uh, the whole earth going to trust Johnny Archer to take care of earth and represent earth the way they need it to. And then are they going to wait to get their information back from him? Well, I mean, that's a fair point. And I think that we saw some of that alluded to when, when Reed was reporting back to his superiors in section 31, you know, but, Kind of like in the, um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the movie Departed, The Departed, you know, but there was a scene at the end where it's like, do you think that you were the only one on the inside? And that would have made for some brilliant drama, especially when the betrayal scene happens, because ultimately there would be that. I mean, it was the way that uh, when, when Travis, you know, when he was, you know, betrayed by, I keep forgetting her name. Gannett. Gannett. Yeah, that's right. Because she was... Was she still with Starfleet Intelligence, wasn't she? She was. And so there is this, yeah, I can see that. I mean, Floyd, that's a great call. I mean, there's that whole kind of Claire Danes, homeland kind of, you know, yeah, you're recruiting your assets. You're making sure that you have this like impenetrable aura around you where people are like, who, me? I couldn't have possibly been in the engine room at that time. Subspace signal? I have no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have that kind of, you know, your, your Makos, you have that kind of technology. You have the ability to be able to um, shield yourself from any other Starfleet technology. I mean, they said that their weaponry was, what, three times more advanced than any weaponry that Starfleet has ever seen. What else do they have at their disposal, especially if they're Section 31? I dig this. I dig what you're thinking. Was this, well, was I'm this? just thinking may, maybe Hayes, Hayes doesn't even have to have even known about her. What if right. she, what if she's a mole on his team that he doesn't even know about? I mean, he was straight straight laced military. I don't want to drag Hayes into this, but I I mean I'm just I'm just playing with this 
we she's saw military intelligence on the Mako side. Exactly. This is this was your. She might not even actually be a corporal. She could be another officer as well, posing as a corporal. This was your idea that you were talking about, right, Floyd? Right. I it's mean, a great idea. I mean, one, it's really good. I'm just taking a one-hit wonder, man. I'm trying to swing for the fences here. I'm trying to swing for the fences. I don't know if I'm going to hit, hit a home run or if I'm going to strike out. But think about this. Section 31 and Starfleet Intelligence, this is – that's kind of obvious. How about you think off the grid on this? How about Terra Prime? Oh, sure. The beginnings of sure. Terra Prime or kind of – yeah, exactly. Because I think I – mean, you bring up a really good point, Floyd, where we assume, and it's, and it's a huge assumption when you actually think about it, the huge assumption was that Earth and all of the Earth governments trusted Jonathan Archer and Annex 01 crew to do this mission that they've never done before, to find the Zindi superweapon and destroy it in this weird space, in this weird you know area of space and just do it by themselves, right? Which, when you think about it, is that's a huge gamble, right? Is there an insurance plan there, right? One could say, why didn't they send in a second ship or a fleet of ships? Or per your idea, Floyd, the insurance plan was already on the ship the entire time and it was with the Makos. And that's such a fantastic idea because it, it, it really presents such great drama down the road. I remember, um, remember the movie Armageddon. It wasn't very good. But remember there was that. It was amazing. What are you <laughs> okay. talking about? Armageddon was amazing. That'll be another Aerosmith 602. We'll talk about Come Armageddon. <laughs> like the year of asteroid movies, 98, right? Um, you don't want to miss it. You film. don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But remember, there was there was that fight that they had, right, between the, the Air Force Major and the character that Bruce Willis played, right? Because Air Force Major said, mm-hmm. the backup plan was, I'm just going to blow it up. The backup plan was to always right. detonate this if you can't drill this thing in. And I just thought of that as you were talking about that, Floyd, where let's say the ship is critically damaged, as we see in damages, and they're not sure if they can actually complete this mission. And then coal is operated, is activated to kind of fulfill her secondary protocols, regardless of whatever the NX-01 can or can't do, regardless of what Archer won't do or was, isn't willing to do, you need to finish this mission somehow. You need to somehow make sure that the Zindi super weapon does not become functional using whatever means necessary. And I think that's great drama because what you mentioned with being embedded within the Hayes' unit and Hayes himself doesn't realize it. That's great, right? Hayes himself is blindsided by it. And that could be the one thing that bonds Hayes and Reed together. They realize, man, they should work together because there's, um, there's a traitor or there's someone else working within their midst and they, they, kind of investigate together and they realize it's it's cold it's the one that was um right in front of them the entire time i think that's a really really good idea well i've always loved the aspect of having this earth first humans first element in storytelling now everyone knows here that i'm a huge babylon 5 fan and in that storyline there was you know there was a group there was a clandestine group called the night's watch and it was about humans first, aliens second. Let's put our human needs first. It's a human organization. This is human government. This is our rights first. And when John Frederick Paxton was introduced in Demons and Terror Prime, I thought that was a stroke of genius because I can't believe that in the hundred and, I believe it was like 36 years between now and then, that all the prejudices and bigotries of humanity are going to be just whooshed. They're just going to disappear. And I think that 
as much as we want to aspire to be better and as much as those people are trained to be um, better soldiers, better officers, better explorers, I don't think that you can change humanity in that broad of a spectrum with every single person, especially when you're coming out of World War III and the eugenics wars. That just kind of, that crystallizes certain things in people and they want to make sure that humanity is taken care of. So you have little pockets of resistance, i.e. resistance, because they're resisting the status quo of this Earth government, this United Earth government that has Starfleet as their exploratory wing and the Makos as their military wing. And I'm sure that somebody in there would say, you know what? Why not have the opportunity to record and to report back or smuggle alien technology from these exploratory missions and bring them back into our favor? That's exactly what Admiral Marcus did with the technology that he found to create the vengeance and to re-engineer Khan into, into darkness. I know a lot of people don't really see it that way, but that's the truth. I mean, the vengeance was basically re-engineered technology from Khan's intelligence. So... Why not do that? If you, were, if you were part of this Section 31 organization and say, like, hey, we have an opportunity to make our defenses better by piggybacking alien technology that's being brought back from our exploratory mission, the, the opportunity for writing drama in there is just outstanding. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I w- even the I can't, I can't recall the reporter's name later on that was uh, friends with... Uh, Mayweather, Gannett. Okay, okay. <laughs> Poor Gannett. She can't. Get, her I, name is just. She needs to wear a name tag. I feel like she's going to be the next one hit wonder episode. By the way, I think so. I think so. But I'm okay, not the only so, one that remembers her name. Atos. <laughs> uh, there you go. Okay. So they replace. I mean, that was kind of a little bit of a shock, but it was out of from nowhere. Imagine replacing that character or that shock of the intelligence with someone that we knew way back in Harbinger and maybe one episode. And then she was mentioned one time. I mean, think about this. She's friendly. People are smitten with her. She is a very easy to get along with character. And what I'm thinking of right now is this is when, when I was thinking of this theory on this again, cause I'm suspicious, you know, why is she being so friendly? Why is she so friendly? This Try to watch Harbinger now the same way that you did before. Okay, watch her. Watch what she's doing. Go back and watch it. It was like it was like a light bulb came on for me. My goodness. This girl is she's working. She's working all sides here. And I liked it even better than like Section 31, throwing a Section 31 out there. I liked it better. Like maybe if she was working for Terra Prime and then mm-hmm. for season five, you build a covert uh, conspiracy organization that's working for basically themselves. I mean, they're very, very selfish. They're privately funded. They're well-funded. And that's even better than a government agency. Maybe have yeah, Terra Prime that, yeah. turn into the Keep Earth Human League from the novels. Oh, that's in the novels? Uh, it's from some old uh, original series novels. I think uh, Best Destiny and Sarek. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a re- that's a really good idea, Flo. Because you know what, that would prompt Section Thirty One and Starfleet to work together. Because Section Thirty One approaches Archer and says, "You know what, 
it's in the best interest of humanity to actually work with aliens. And I know you hate working with us, but you need to work with us because we need to actually put an end to Terra Prime. And that's like, oh my God, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So they, he's reluctantly again forced to work with Section 31. You bring in Harris again, you bring in Reed, because they know the future humanity is with, you know, uh, the stars, right? It's in the stars. It's working with other races, other aliens, right? So they, they have to put an end to this reactionary element once and for all, right? I, ugh. So that's season six, right? That's, um, that's season six of the Enterprise? Okay. I'm glad we locked hey, that I'm, up. Hey, I'm swinging so big right here. I'm trying to get Cole a spinoff show, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there, 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 there could have been many touch points um, for not just her, but if she actually started influencing some of the other Makos as they started to see how things unfolded in the Delphic Expanse, and then later on when they were recommissioned back to the NXO one, and then maybe they had different agendas to affect the Babel conference, you know, or anything that happened with uh, the... I mean, what? It, obviously there was... Um, there was kind of like this clandestine thing that was going on with Kirshara when they bombed the Vulcan High Command. You know, that they could have been working in partnership with, you know, some of those extremists as well. And I think that adds actually a lot just to the whole dramatic element of the show because sometimes, Enterprise included, Star Trek writing becomes a little too sterile and a little too safe. And you want this <laughs> little and you want to be able to break out of that shell and start getting into some of the grittier storytelling where things aren't so clean, where lines aren't so well drawn, where the sides aren't so black and white, because that's really where drama is. That's where those those spaces of gray and where the morality starts to get blurred. That's where you as the viewer start saying Whose side am I on? Because Floyd, you're right. When people listen to this show and then watch Harbinger again, there is that opportunity to be like, why is she being the way, uh, why is she operating the way that she is? I mean, she is, you know, she, she really should be kind of like, you know, settling more towards a, a background role and just being, uh, you know, this, this trainer slash mako slash operative slash support. But she is a little bit more outgoing, a little bit more forward than everybody else is. And, Sure, she could have an agenda. That's the great thing about speculating into our seasons five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. I'm getting greedy there, but you know what I mean. Well, we and, need ten to get to the end of the Romulan War. Right, exactly. So, and there's there again. You, you just have that opportunity for drama. You have the opportunity for really good character moments, and you know, like those lines that Archer was saying in season three, where he was testing the the boundaries of morality. Where he just, you know what. This isn't the last time I'm going to make this type of decision. Get used to it because it's either this or that. It's either us or them. It's either our existence or their existence. And he has only one choice. Not a lot of captains in Starfleet in the series were really challenged that way. It was like it's either this way or no alternative. You know, I mean, I'm not sure if Cisco really felt that way in the Dominion War because he had a coalition of governments that were working for him. Archer was 80, it was what, 81 plus how many Makos? Maybe a handful of them. So maybe a crew complement of 100, maybe a little bit more against the entire Delphic Expanse and five races under one command in the Zindi. <laughs> and the complete unknown if they're going to be able to do it or not. Zero help. No help from the any government. No help from the Vulcans. No help from the Andorians. No help from That's anybody. why you need coal as the mole, right? It works. Uh, that theory works so well. There's the there's the there's the call them all, and I just actually I just realized this um, as you were talking, it would have been a great inflection point 
um, for Cole to reveal her true intentions when Archer and Degra reconcile, right? Because remember, Trip had a hard time getting over the fact that Degra was now an ally, right? And he confronted him, right? It could have been Cole. Yeah. Cole could have been the one that really had that grudge that wasn't able to let that go. And it's actually Trip that actually has mm-hmm. to talk her down. Or maybe it's Trip that discovers that she can't get over the fact that they're actually aligning themselves with Degra. So she decides to take matters into her own hands to break this alliance, right. right, in the name of Terra Prime or in the name of Humans First, right? Like, you're actually teaming up with them now. You're actually uh, allying with them. Like, this was a betrayal for her, you know, a bridge too far. And it could have been Trip could have been the one to discover her true intentions because he says, you know what? There comes a time when we have to actually reconcile and put aside our differences. And she's like, I can't accept that. Like you, can you trust them? How can you trust them over us? And right there has that great material for that that narrative drama at the very end. Right, right. So, um, in in our final thoughts, fellas, uh, anything left that we would like to say about Amanda Cole? Now, here's one thing that that could have happened, and it could have been really neat, and it could have started this whole ball rolling. And I don't remember in the series if if which episode fell first, if Harbinger fell before similitude but what if amanda cole was just put on protection duty for sim so that nothing happened to him until he was able to fulfill his mission so that he would able to be able to save trip and she actually her transferred her feelings from sim to trip later on i think similitude came first so so there was the possibility there where again that's how they could have introduced her it's like you know what you mako you protect this person he's too vital to, <laughs> to have anything we only have he's only one of a kind if anything happens to him, we're doomed. So make sure that nothing happens to him. And then Hayes, you take care of the rest of the Makos and then we'll just kind of go from there. And then all of a sudden she, you know, a little flirtatious here and there, you know, because, you know, Sim's kind of growing up along right side her. So, I don't know. Got so many ideas. What I feel like I'm so energized now. <laughs> all right. well, hey, hey, something we I'd also thought about is remember the comedy that Reed had with uh, Trip when he was talking about their relationship um, at that point, we didn't know what we didn't know that Reed had a history. We didn't know that he had a past. Mm-hmm. So what if he is suspicious? That could have also been, we could have seen something like that later on where Reed, we don't really know yet, but he's got suspicions. He's, he's looking, he's looking into it. So we could have mixed Reed into this also with it. And even, I mean, we could have brought to Paul in, so what do you what do you think about that? What do you what do you think about with bringing uh, maybe it could have it could have brought Reed's backstory in a little bit quicker is what I was thinking. Well, I mean, with that, I think that would have been really cool writing for, you know, for Reed. And it would have challenged him at the time where it's like, OK, it's either I walk the path and prove my loyalty to Starfleet by saying, you know what, I know where you're coming from. I was almost there because I was recruited in such a way, but I can't really dive too deep back into that again. I've, I've, I've made my choice. I want to get as far away from my clandestine past as I can. I want to walk a finer path, but I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe this person has the goods on Reed. You, you never know. Or I just thought maybe, there. you know, one, one operative knows another operative, whether he knows it for sure or not, he maybe just suspected it. So it, it would have been cool if they walked by the hallways and kind of had that double take. You're like, what? <laughs> why are you here? That's why I'm here. It's like, well, you're not getting the job done. But one last, one last parting thought. 
because I love this movie so much. What if it was, and, and, and since I'm using this language, I'm not sure if we can get the rating on it that we want. What if it was the goddamn cook? <laughs> what if she paired it? What if she was actually there to meet up with Chef and to see what Chef had for her to download information so she could bring it back to her superiors? That's true. I'm just saying. And then you could have Sean Connery come in uh, to make up for the fact that he wasn't in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I'd be like, listen, guys, I'm actually a Russian captain of the NX-03, <laughs> and I'm here to save I'm here to save this mission. I don't know. I'm just saying crazy stuff off the top good. of my head. But you're right. Uh, that that uh, I love that movie. Hunt for October is such a classic movie. No, <laughs> Just I don't was fire thinking... phasers in the near the warp core because some things in there don't react well to phasers. <laughs> hey, I was actually like thinking of Hunt for Red October also with my theory about Cole being a, a mole. You know, the way that ended up happening that I that was something I actually thought about that and uh, uh, you know just a couple of other things the recruit with Al Pacino, so. Oh yeah, fantastic. Yeah, no, there's there are a lot of different ways that you can dice this, and I think that's actually a really good storytelling opportunity that could have happened, because we didn't know so much about her, and there were, gosh, there were just a myriad of different ways that you could have sliced that character. But I like the way that you're bringing that uh, back into this humans first, because I think that Star Trek, when it's confronted with that, like when they confronted this aspect with Colonel Green, you know, there's this whole dark side of humanity that still hasn't been purged yet and yes star trek isn't about that but good storytelling confronts that and allows you to understand why those choices are being made in terms of fleshing out somebody's character because again you can't be all archer or else the the story just doesn't work you have to have something that compels somebody to do something conversely uh, um, and the other spectrum of of Archer's noble quest, I mean, it just it it doesn't the center can't hold without that kind of drama. I would so. I would have loved to have seen Archer pull the Chakotay line where he asks, you know, like, is there anyone on board working for me? You know, when everybody <laughs> stands up and you know, this is Circa Thirty One, this is Starfleet Intelligence, these people are Terra Prime. You know, it's like, is anybody still working for me? Yeah. That's a great line from Voyager, by the way. That's a great line. So I think we represented all the shows here. We talked about original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and now Voyager and Enterprise. We covered it all. We covered it all. Well, I because, I had a thought. Yeah. You know, you know, it's not nearly as awesome as uh, what Floyd came up with, but uh, I was thinking that you know, keep her around so that once the the uh, um, the Romulan War kicks off. You know, have some kind of an episode with her and a handful of other Makos in a situation very similar to the Siege of AR-558 against Riemann shock troops. Got to use that nemesis makeup, right? And all those costumes yeah. again. <laughs> Got to save money, right? Oh, yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's true. Well, yeah. And it also gets around the fact, you know, never saw the Romulans because they were using the Riemanns as the shock troops. Oh, I like that. I like that. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, man. So we'll drop that to all of our folks who are like listening to the show. And when you finally listen to the end of this, as we're recording this, type up what you think about this on the Babel conference. Send us an email and uh, let us know your thoughts on it because speculation is like it's, it's, it's half the name of this game. It's a lot of fun when we do this. And we've, we have, like you said, Will, we brought up a lot of subjects and a lot of uh, 
speculative ideas and a lot of what ifs and a lot. That's that's the kind of like that's that's what enterprise is all about. We didn't get what we wanted uh, per se, and and now we can have the opportunity to kind of like paint that canvas the way we want it. But but for Amanda Cole, I think we did a great job in covering her. There's a lot of opportunity for her still uh, in the in the novels. And there's a lot of opportunity for her in fanfic and and just kind of like in her own headcanon. And it's been a lot of fun talking about Amanda Cole and the Makos and how that could have progressed in future seasons of Enterprise. But she wasn't the only topic that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Yeah, he can edit the crap out of a movie. Literally. Like, that's actually <laughs> how he got the job on uh, for Nemesis, is he edited the crap out of uh, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, and Mission Impossible 2. And they're like, thanks, Stuart Baird. Earl Grey. Oh, by the way, six hours in. If you press shift, you'll run throughout the whole game. <laughs> press shift when your characters are moving, and they'll actually move at a reasonable Reasonable. Pace. The orb. If he had, like, a game card, his power, you know, like, would be higher yeah. than any other captain for the, their persuasion power. You'll be like, damn, I was winning, and then he went and played a Cisco card on me. The ready room. Someone pointed out that this is actually the shortest title of any Star Trek episode. It's shorter than Voyager's Q squared by half a character. Because the two is superscript. <laughs> We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> to the journey. It's fake intimacy. Thank you. It is them trying to say Jacote knows Janeway so well that just by fiddling her com badge, he knows the crap's gonna hit the fan. <laughs> Commentary: Trek stars. Lost World's a terrible movie. I haven't seen Jurassic World though. Mm. The 602 Club. We wake up in the middle of the night and I pop back in episode 5 and I watch it again. Like, there's something about this movie that from even then, you know, I'd seen them all. It's all clean slate. This one was already my favorite. Literary Treks. It definitely starts in a very dark place and it doesn't get much brighter at all uh you know until we until we get to the end and and you know there's some hope there but yeah definitely it's it's a dark book women at warp there were no oh you're a girl so you can't do that it's like well you know what you used to hang out with the Kardashian or the Klingons so let's see what that would look like why don't you try that on for a while and introducing Metatrex you're commander of a starship a thousand choices are going to uh, confront you in the course of, of your day in, in the captain's chair and you just can't ignore them so asking ourselves whether we really have free will is just a meaningless question on that view i personally would like to be confronted with the choice to warp to Ryza. just saying and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out all of these shows here on the network and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond and you can find us Wherever you get your podcast now, Will mentioned a variety of different ways that you can find our show on the network and on the interwebs. So please do so. We would love to hear your feedback. Please get in touch with us. 
And please think about supporting the network. And one of the ways that you can do that is through our Patreon program. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And that is a way that pretty much every single person that I am looking at right now on screen has come into the network. And Patreon is, is a way to help fund the network. We are an independently funded network and program. Um, our donors and our sponsors and our Patreon have provided us great financial services so that we can make sure that our equipment's maintained, we can make sure that our servers are paid for, then we can host all this great information for you to be able to find and stream and download as you need it. And I'm going to ask the fine gentlemen that are with me right now how they have come to the network through Patreon. And then Will's going to cover a little bit here the special program that we have that has brought in so many new listeners to the Patreon program, and that's the Patrons Roundtable. So Floyd is an associate producer, as well as Mike Morrison, who I've heard here on the network. And Floyd, you have come through the Patreon program and have kind of um, allowed yourself to expand your fandom in that way. So how did that work for you? How did you start that whole process? Well, it, it all started really with the, you know, I've, I found Trek FM on the on my podcatcher. And then about the time that um, I, I had already uh, assimilated Warp 5 back catalog and Standard Orbit back catalog, that was about the time that uh, Christopher Jones started the Babel Conference. And man, jumping jumping into Babel conference. Uh, I just actually just opened a Facebook account to be, uh, on the Axonar fan group and to, cause I'm a, I, I support Axonar also. And when, um, as soon as they launched the Patreon program for Trek FM, I just, I thought I just, I planned it out. I had been planning for a long time. I listened to this all the time. I don't listen to radio anymore. I listen to Trek FM and, uh, I just felt like I just, this has to keep going. I have to do what I have to do to keep this going. I, I have to help this out financially. And, uh, I just, I just love it. I love it. My, my commute is so much greater now because of Trek FM. Awesome, man. And the first time that you were on air with us was through the Patreon roundtable. Was that correct? Yes. Okay. So we'll let us know a little bit about how that program works. Sure. So the Patreon roundtable or the patrons roundtable is just a casual, informal gathering each month where Trek FM hosts and patrons who donate at the $25 level or above come together and talk all things Trek about all iterations of Trek product uh, issues with the production of Trek or the creation of Trek uh, episodes, themes, uh, fandom experiences. I think it's just a great um, free for all where we get to exchange ideas about Star Trek. It also get a chance to interact with people. We may not interact uh, normally you know, hosts that are on other shows get to interact with other hosts and we get to meet the patrons and uh, all our supporters. And it's a really great time because without the community that supports us, we can't be the network that we are. And the roundtable is a great way for the community to actually chime in and actually have their voice heard. So if you guys can help us out at the $25 level, please, please do and join us on the roundtable. So there are a bunch of different ways that you can do. I mean, the, the, the patrons roundtable is one way. And then there, if you go to patreon.com slash Trek FM, you can actually see different tiers that can work for you. And these are not obligatory in any way. And you can service us through any type of donation that you want. It doesn't have to be all at once. It can be over time. Whatever works for you. Because what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're bringing you the content that you like to hear in a way, in a flexible manner that you can maintain with your support. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm. And we thank you for your support. And 
I know he's on camera and on mic with me, but Floyd and Mike Morrison, who are associate producers for Warp 5, I mean, I can't thank them enough for their support on the Babel Conference and through their financial support on Patreon for helping us keep these Warp 5 engines running. And thank you so much, guys, for doing that for us and because of the passion that you have for this network. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on the network at trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trekfm, and as we've mentioned throughout the show, the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Now, there are a bunch of different ways that you can get in touch with our guests here on the show. So, Floyd, please let all of our listeners know how they can get in touch with you across the network. Uh, well, I have a Twitter account, but I never look at it. So the Babel Conference is the best place to see. I, I love getting in there and seeing the great discussion, the great positive, optimistic discussion that you can rarely find in other other places on the interwebs. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm usually I usually post on there every day. And if I'm not posting, I'm reading it. So that's the Babel Conference. That's where you can find me. Great, Floyd. Thanks. And Will, how about you? You can find me also at the Babel Conference. Um, I love seeing the conversation there. You can also get me uh, find me on Twitter at, at @boomerniner, which is a new Twitter handle just for Trek FM. I'm very excited. Boomer, Boomer Niner. Niner. Um, Sorry, Boomer so it's Niner. It's pretty obvious. Um, um, the the favorite Trek series for me is Deep Space Nine Enterprise. So I felt it was more than fitting to have Boomer Niner as a Twitter handle. So feel free to reach out to me there. And I'm also the content manager for the network. So if you have any ideas on um, themes or topics we haven't talked about yet or to discuss things we have talked about, please feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. And Jeff, how about you? Well, uh, deep breath here. <laughs> um, like I've said before, I'm on Twitter at Harlander. Um, I'm actually uh, considering adding to my repertoire on there and uh, starting to send out uh, Trekopedia trivia. Um, so every now and then I'm, I'm thinking about sending out like little tidbits of Trek trivia on there. Um, I'm also on uh, Facebook. Uh, I post pretty frequently on the Babel conference. I'm also on the Axanar fan group. Uh, I've been supporting that for, uh, more than a year now. Uh, um, I was, you know, I've been since before Prelude came out. Um, I'm on, uh, uh, also on there uh, you know, with my uh, my comic books and with uh, trekopedia.com uh, my comics I've got uh, the protectorate uh, and that's at bandwidthcomics.com and it's also on Facebook uh, at just search for bandwidth comics awesome Jeff thanks so much now if you'd like to get in touch with me you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel conference I post there pretty much daily you can also find me on Twitter my handle is Norman Lau that's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O and like Jeff and like many other people here, I'm a huge supporter of the Axonar Project and what Alec Peters is doing over there uh, at Aries Studios. And you can find me on the Axonar fan group page on Facebook as well. And I am a proud sponsor of Trek FM uh, through the Patreon program. That's how I started my career here at Trek FM. Um, and I'm an executive producer here for the network. And that's pretty much about it. Not nearly as long as a lift as yours, Jeff, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So thanks everyone for listening and join us next time here in the conference room for another episode of Warp 5. 